I'm Leah Simone Bowen, the host of Podcast Playlist on CBC. We're a podcast discovery show, and we love a great story. So each week, we highlight the podcast we think you should check out. The show is a classic. Love how they select their topics. It's great. And from time to time, we're joined by some of the biggest names in podcasting. My name is Jamie Loftus. John Green. I'm Michael Hobbs. My name is Nicole Byer, and I have a podcast recommendation. You can find Podcast Playlist on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Okay, so you're directing a movie and you've cast in the lead role Eve Hewson, who happens to be the daughter of Bono from U2. Off to a good start, right? Here's the problem. Eve has said that given her dad, she never wants to sing in a film ever. And the movie you're making with her? It's a musical. John Carney will be here to tell you about his new movie, Flora and Son, and how he managed to talk her into it. That's coming up. I'm Tom Power. You're listening to Q. So let's get some facts together here. The Irish director John Carney struck gold with his 2008 musical Once, a movie about a group of struggling musicians falling in love while singing together. You might remember some of the story behind it. It was made in Ireland. It was this tiny independent film that cost, like, I looked it up, like 150 grand to make. It ends up making 20 million at the box office and winning an Academy Award for one of the songs from it, uh, this one. Glenn Hansard and Marketa Irglova with the song Falling Slowly from the movie Once. And lest you think he's a one-hit wonder, John Carney follows that up with Begin Again and Sing Street. And he starts to get a bit of a name for making movies that honestly just make you feel good, where you're kind of rooting for the characters and you find yourself smiling along while you're watching it. And they're almost always films about people's relationships with music, which makes sense because John is a musician himself. He was in a band with Glenn Hansard uh, from the Swell season back in the day. Glenn was the star of that film uh, once, as I mentioned. John sat down with me in the Q studio while he was in Toronto to premiere this new movie called Flora and Son, which is about a young mom struggling with a, let's say, a delinquent son. She gives him a guitar that she finds in a dumpster, and then everything changes. And I started off by asking a question. I try not to ask too much uh, here on Q. I started out by asking John Carney, what inspired this film? Here's what he said. So I was walking home one day from my coffee run in the morning. And as always, like a good filmmaker should or a good journalist, I was, you know, have my nose out for a story and looking around and going, what, what, what's speaking to me? And I passed a dumpster, uh, you know, like, a, uh, you know, a yellow dumpster from, from a house. Stuff was being thrown out. So I saw this amplifier with these wires and I brought it home, retooled it, wired it, put my guitar in, bring, and it worked. And I was like, look what I did <laughs> to my wife. And she was like, you have seven amplifiers. Yeah, right. <laughs> and I was like, I know, but look. And she was like, yeah, that's not a story. And I was like, it's not really a story if I have seven amp. What if I didn't? What if I was broke? It's a guitar and it's crying out to be pulled out of the rubble like Excalibur uh, by uh, somebody. Uh, and it's not a guy. Because uh-huh. a guy is like, a guy in a skip pulling out a, scar, uh, a guitar He's maybe homeless, uh-huh. he's maybe this, he's maybe crazy. He's ma- A woman doing it uh-huh. 
that's a cool image and it's kind of interesting. And then I thought, why is she doing that? Is she a guitar player? No, she's not a guitar player. She, and kind of piece by piece, you start to sort of put the little jigsaw of a story in your head. And then, then I was like, she's not bringing it home to play herself because that's corny. That's like we're into a Hollywood movie there. Of like, if only I could find a guitar. Oh, there's one. Yeah. What if she's giving it to something? Like, what if it's a gift? Oh, that's good. What if she's, oh, now she's got a kid. And then I was like, oh, now I'm the kid. And the mother is my mother who never went into a skip to get a guitar for me, but she did spend 400 pounds and buy me a bass guitar when I was 14. Which was probably some considerable sacrifice to do that. Massive, yeah. really big, and really ponying up. And actually, unlike my father, who was like, I'll get you an orange for Christmas. Yeah, right. <laughs> she was like, I'll, okay, if you, you're telling me you're going to be a great bass player, yeah. I'm going to buy it for you. Yeah. And I was like, I didn't think you would. There you go. Be, you know, and she didn't say this because it's not a Hollywood movie, but she was saying be yeah. a good base, go and learn it. Yeah. And that'll give you the purpose that you're not getting in, in, in school. And you said, in, 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 but in this case, you, you see the mother herself uh, gain her own purpose through the guitar as well. Actually, you know, the story I've just told you about me getting a, my getting a guitar from my mother, that's interesting enough, but you've kind of heard that story before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What I haven't heard is what it's like for the mum. Mm. You know, well, what's that like? What is it like in my case for my mother who's, you know, she had me when she was 40, so I'm 14. She's a 54-year-old woman. Her annoying kid who's flunking at school is telling her, spend a half a grand on a guitar for me. What was that like for her? And I've always been very, very grateful. And, of course, like all boys, I never actually thanked her. Right. And she's right. not with us anymore. Right. So there's a little bit of, like, this is, you know, my, gra- my gratitude because it really did mean something to me. That's beautiful. Yeah. Anyway, I might learn the guitar myself. <sighs> Okay. Could be you're not the only genius in this family. Sorry, but you playing the guitar, that's just too funny. Why? Because it takes dedication, years of practice, sweat, commitment. Are you really going to talk to me about commitment? Uh, We were talking before we turned the microphone on a little bit about the casting of it, because um, Eve Hewson, Mm -hmm. who is in Bad Bad Sisters, is the name of the Great show. Bad Sisters, really good show. show. Uh, And also uh, a daughter of of Bono from from U2. She's the lead. She is. Uh, Tell me about casting her for this. So I had met her a couple of times uh, through her parents, you know, at, at, at a party or whatever. And she was, you know, 14, 15. She seemed nice and cool. And I heard that she wanted to be an actor. But, you know, she was a kid. Then five, six years later, you'd see her on TV. And you're like, oh, great. Oh, and she's really good. Yeah. And she's kind of doing it. That's brilliant. Didn't think, give it a second thought. Never thought I would have anything for, for um, you know, for that particular um, age group, really. And then I had written Flora and parked it. And her agent rang me and said, did you ever think of Eve? And I was like, well, that's interesting. And we did a Zoom and she had read the script and she was just so immediately getting this role. What do you mean? It's hard to describe. It's there's something you have to sort of jump into the sea with an actor. It's like, I'm in now. I'm jumping in and I, I, I might die. But there was something about the way she pitched the movie back to me that made me see it from a younger person's perspective and see the potential in it. Because I'm 50. Mm. I was making this movie and I was like, probably thinking more about the, you know, thinking about my own mother. And she was like, no, you've written a really funny, heartfelt movie that can speak to people. And I was like, no, I've written a tiny movie that I'll film for a hundred grand with my friends, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and she was like, no, no, it's, it's, it's definitely commercial. 
and here's how I would do it. And it's funny. And she just started, which is every director's dream is to have an actor who's telling them not how to do it, but what they're doing. That's a good thing? I think it is a kind of a good thing, actually. I think, a, 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 and, and I really think that a movie is only as good as the collaboration between the director and the lead, the lead man or woman or person in the, in the leading role. It's only as good as that relationship right. or friendship or work relationship was. Yeah. And our one was really great. It was a, a thing we wanted to just have done, like this Dublin character who's salty and funny mm. and a bit broken mm -hmm. and a bit lovable in a weird way, but then she does something terrible and then you're like, I hate her, but I don't actually hate her, but I should. And mm. that was just a thing we both wanted to get off our chest. I um, was nervous for her. And let me just say again that Eve is an incredible actor and in Bad Sister, she's amazing. And she's a great actor. She's yeah. a great actor. I was nervous for her when I started watching the film because it dawned on me that, oh, it's one of your films mm -hmm. and, oh my God, she's going to have to sing. Yeah. And I've never heard her sing and her father is named after being a great singer and her <laughs> father is, you know, Bono is Bonavoce, like one of the, you know, truly one of the greatest singers of our time. Yeah. How did you handle that as a director? So I, I knew from the beginning that like she is not going to try and put her hand in that handprint shape and sing like a goddess in the way that Bono is, as you said, you know, one of, if not the greatest rock voices of many decades. Um, and she said, she's like, I'm never going near me dad on that one. Like his shadow's long enough. I don't want, you know, I'm an actor. Yeah. And there's a lot of brilliant people on YouTube being awesome. Yeah. And it's great to be awesome and be the best in the world. But it's kind of great to not be as well. And what's that like? What's it like to open your mouth and you're not the best singer, but you've got something? What's it like for, for, for somebody to try and write a song who's never written a song? You know, they're the kind of stories now that are appealing to me more than the like, Star is Born, Boy Meets Girl, they win Grammys and... I understand what you mean. Eve, you didn't have to worry about Eve being her dad or anything like that. Didn't because, come into it. Because it wasn't about that. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And she, and I'm sure, and I remember her distinctly saying, oh my God, when I sing. But there's something about the way Eve did it that was like, um, I, you could see in her face, I'm not going near that. Don't worry. Don't get your knickers in a twist. I'm yeah. not going to be trying to <laughs> yeah. be Beyonce. Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, right, right. I'll make it nice yeah. and it'll be harmonious. Yeah. But it won't be, you know, I'm not doing a Judy Garland here. Well, to be fair, she sounds great. Let's, let's take a listen to this. I've been bruised and broken. I've been torn and f***ing too. I've been working and running. Then I have to run home to you. And I'm not living in your life. And you're not living in mine. We've been Getting it wrong forever We'll get it right this time And live in the high life It's the high life, which is a big song that, um, that features, I don't know, maybe I won't say when, in, in Florence. Um, sung yeah. by Eve Hewson there. Um, I saw you and Eve have a songwriting credit that with Gary Clark, who's your yes. longtime musical collaborator. How did that song come about? So that song had been a, um, the big question of this film when I was writing it was, what is the movie going to sound like? Once is going to be folksy, Begin Again is going to be kind of light, pop, rock, uh, Sing Street is 80s uh, nostalgia. What is this movie? What does, what does it sound like? And, you know, the, 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 what was kind of great about it was the characters told me how it should sound. So she's not going to be playing intricate jazz 
chords and susses and major sevens. She's going to be playing G and C and mm-hmm. F and mm-hmm. maybe D mm-hmm. and maybe D minor. So what I found interesting was this was like, if, if I'm going to have a song that's written by this woman who knows eight chords on her acoustic guitar and a kid who's around with garage band, mm. those two things have to merge beautifully. And so if he's doing drill music, it's not going to work with an acoustic guitar. Yeah. Or if he's doing hip hop, it's probably not going to work with it. But if he's doing this kind of electronica thing. They can collaborate. They can collaborate. And she can strum a G chord over some weird chord that he's playing wrong. And it works. And it really harmonizes in a nice way. Woman, guess we're cut from the same cloth. 14 years in the same block. Nine long months in your belly. Down to the coom and I still wasn't ready. And if you listen to that song, Highlight, it's full of little juxtapositions that shouldn't actually work. Mm. But Gary, who, who co-wrote the song as well, contrived for it to sort of make sense. And... It's also the most important thing in a movie is I like the music. Yeah. I just couldn't make, uh, I couldn't make a musical in which I'm like, it's, it's, it's hurting me to listen to. I really like those songs and I really like the, and I enjoy listening to them. And they're good enough to be good songs, but they're plausible enough for my story. It's amazing to see how it all turned out, you know? It's amazing to see you talking about these musicals and all this work you're doing. And you were telling the story earlier about your mother buying you that bass and how it changed your life. And I didn't continue the story here because I knew I had this yeah. l- lined up. Just take a listen to this. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm trying to catch the bass. Two notes. What are we hearing right now for people who don't know? That's amazing. It's off the first album of The Frames, Glenn's band. And your band? Well, I was the bass player in it, let's be honest. So this is. um. Have you not heard it in a while? I think I played some of it to my seven year old son. To show that Daddy was in a band. <laughs> uh, that's a that's a that's a great song. It's kind of weird when you hear those early songs how they didn't connect more. A great song. Like nobody knows that. Song. I didn't know it. But had, nobody uh, in the world knows that. Song. I'll be honest. We had we had to track it down. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? But that's a catchy song. Yeah. It's not yeah. on Spotify or anything like that. I don't think either. weird. I think yeah. his deals. I think the deals were all weird right. back then. Great song. Yeah, that is a good song. I mean, Glenn's a great songwriter. And great band. It was just a great mix of different people from Dublin hanging out together. And then at the at the center of it was this, you know, was Glenn. Right. Who, who was the songwriter. And he really does deserve credit for it because he was like the star of the band. Right. And you need that. Was this Glenn Hensard post-commitments? This was at the same time that The Commitments was happening. Because he was in that, right? He was an actor in it. He was in that movie, but he wasn't great in it. And it wasn't a, you know, wasn't, it was kind of, he, like, you know, it, it, I'm not sure if being a kid in a band and like the, you're in this big movie. Yeah. I'm not sure if it's good. He, he was cool because he knew I have to be careful with this because I really wanted to be about my band. Yeah. I don't want my life to be dominated by the fact that I looked out and got this role in a big, big movie. Yeah. Um, so, so it was an interesting time. But no, that was kind of at the same time. Those two things were, were kind of happening. But he was very, he was, he was right to sort of try and distance himself from the commitments a little bit.
Because I was wondering whether you were looking at that going like, oh, music movies. No, I was not looking at that. It's funny, isn't it? No, I never, I never thought I would make a music movie. Right back then, like I was 19 or I whatever. I thought you'd be like, oh, Commitment's doing well. Buddy's in it. My buddy's in it. That seems no, to be No, Glenn took me down to meet Ad- uh, Alan Parker at, with the idea that like, oh, this is John. He's the bass player in my band and he kind of has a Super 8 camera. Do you want to meet the biggest director in the world? And I went down to meet Alan Parker and Glenn did that and said, oh, sorry, Alan, this is, uh, this is me mate John. He's in the band and he wants to become a filmmaker. And he looked at me, mm-hmm. Alan Parker, <laughs> and he looked and he said, stick to rock and roll. <laughs> and, I, and, and I... Encouraging. Yeah, I was like, thanks, dude. <laughs> you showed him. I showed oh, yeah, him. Oh, okay, so there was, there was no connection there. There was no, I want to make musical movies from that. No, 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 no. I, I, I stuck in the band for two or three years after that. And we toured and recorded an album and made videos. And it was at that time uh, that I that I did. I bought a Super 8 camera and uh, got that little cassette in there and pressed record. And it's just, there's a magic about that format that is hard to, 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 to show people now who are so used to amazing HD on their phones and camcorders and all. It was like this little thing with a tiny viewfinder that's going. It's just bewitching. It's utterly magical. And it was abs- It was like I stepped out of music and into film. And it was like, I cannot justify my life in a band. I, I have to do this and see if there's something at the end of this beautiful process of filming something. You don't know what it looks like. There's no video assist. There's no monitor. I filmed a thing that we contrived on, on a super, I'm going to send it off. It's going to be developed. I'm going to come back, put it through a projector and project it on my mother's wall on a blanket or on a white sheet. It is, you're Charlie Chaplin. You know, you're given this gift. You're inventing. I'd never been to film school. I didn't know anybody in film. I looked at things like the commitments. I was like, I don't know how you do that. Like that's, I don't know the end of a 35 mil camera or a crew. I'd have no idea how these things get made. You put a camera in your hand, like a Super 8, and you're like, you're inventing. <laughs> you know, yeah. I really can't. It's a magical time of life. I'm Tom Power. You're listening to the director John Carney there talking about how he first fell in love with filmmaking, which was in the early 90s in Dublin. He'd been playing in a band called The Frames with his buddy Glenn Hansard, but quit that life soon after he got his first film camera. And it wouldn't be long before he made a film called Once, which kind of changed the game, not just for John, but for like all independent filmmakers. It was this low budget musical starring his buddy Glenn Uh, Glenn ended up writing a song for that musical, which would win an Oscar and be sung at like campfires all over the world. It's a song that's so well known. I think at this point I was a little nervous about playing it for John, given that it's like the biggest song from any of his movies. But for you, I, I did it anyway. Put you through it. That's Glenn Hansard <laughs> and Marquita Irglova, the two stars of the 2007 musical film, once singing the huge song from that film, Falling Slowly. How many times have you heard that? Now? Oh my God, thousands of times. But I could still feel the first time I heard it there, even when I heard it there, and I'm like pulling my earphones off because I've heard it a thousand times. I can still feel the lift of like, what the hell is going on here? When did you hear it first? I heard it first in pre-production for the film, and we were looking for, you know, the, the song. 
And and it was so funny because Glenn was like, what about this, this thing? That, you know, like I've been thinking about. Played it and it was like, oh my God. It was the one moment, I think. And there were a few people in the room and everybody was equally, okay, this is like being in the room. Yeah. When something amazing is happening musically. Yeah. You knew yeah. it. You knew oh, it. Oh, you, you would, like, like any creature with any hearing would know it. I um I'll, I'll I want to hear the answer, but it has to be the understatement of your life. How much did that film change everything for you? That film changed everything for everybody in, involved in the movie. Uh, it was a it was just a blessed seventeen days of my life, and it was validation that no human should really get. <laughs> because, yeah. because it was like made on my terms it was made with some of my money it was made with my girlfriend playing his his uh glenn's ex-girlfriend in it my camcorders uh you know glenn's an old mate from a band it was my friends behind the camera and it was my friend's music. It was all us. It was, and I felt like that movie was exactly where I was in my life. It was truthful. It was honest. Let's put it out in the world. Yeah. And then you're validated for that. Yeah. And everybody gives you a green light and says, we love you too. Oh my it God. was a rock star kind of moment where uh, you feel, this is how it must feel like to be like Bob Dylan or something, like on a smaller, smaller yeah. scale. Yeah. But it must feel to get everything about you said, yes. But yes to this as well. And what about editing? Yes. Just yes, let's get this movie into the world and these great writers. It was a wonderful, it was a wonderful moment. And, and everybody connected to it remembers it fondly. And it was just one of those things um, that, that shouldn't happen, as occasionally does. We'll be right back. One of the best shows of the year, according to Apple, Amazon and Time, is back for another round. This season, we're diving deep into some of McCartney's most beloved songs. Yesterday, Band on the Run, Hey Jude. And McCartney's favourite song in his entire catalogue, Here, There and Everywhere. Listen to season two of McCartney, A Life in Lyrics on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The big moments of my, you know, teenage and adolescent life were all scored by music. There was just music on. I'm Tom Power. You're listening to Q. You're in the middle of my conversation with the Irish writer and director John Carney. We're talking about his new film, Flora and Son. I'm coming to you today from CBC Studios in St. John's, Newfoundland and Labrador. Can you tell? Do I sound a little different? Anyway, John started out as a musician in the band The Frames. And then he and the lead singer of that band, Glenn Hansard, made a film together called Once. And you might remember that film. It went from being this like shoestring budget indie film made in Ireland to winning an Academy Award, spawning a stage musical, and then having a big hit song come from it. It's the 15th anniversary of Once, so I wanted to ask John why he thinks that film connected the way that he did. And honestly, when you ask that kind of question, like, why was your album so successful? Why was your film so successful? There's very rarely an answer for it. But John is so brilliant about art and filmmaking. Of course he had an answer. 
It was definitely made from a pure place. It had a hit song. It and the timing was great. And I, I had an instinct, I think, that, that and it, you only need one good instinct in your life. It hasn't happened again. I had an instinct or a feeling that people were ready to go and sit through a musical, uh, but they didn't know it. Right. And I felt like I could bring my cheeky, upstarty filmmaking process to meet that. So I could throw my handheld cameras and pretend we were all real not cast movie stars, um, do it really low and hard. I made a TV show with my brother and my collaborator where it was, we, we, we had three years of filming and storytelling. And so I was coming off that and I was like, I'll use some of the techniques of that TV show in a film, but it's a it's a stealth musical. People are sitting through eight songs in this in this movie. They just don't know it. Uh, and I won't. Uh, you see, because I love musicals, and I thought a bit like Damon Chazelle. I guess I thought like if I impersonate those movies, it'll work, and it did work for him. But it wouldn't have worked for me. And the more I tried to impersonate the musicals that I love, the more people which is what like Cats or something like that. Or? More like more like the the, the 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 like New York, New York by Scorsese. Oh, okay. Singing in the Rain, American okay. in Paris, and and uh, the George Cukor, A Star is Born. Okay, so you knew I can't, I can't quite do that. It's, it's not even, it's that it's corny yeah. now, and yeah. that nobody's going to buy it. But what if you made a movie in the style that I work in, which is handheld? I love Nouvelle Vague, French movies. I'm down with Festin and the dogma mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. I get it. What if you made a musical that was kind of ho- a Hollywood, like really uplifting tragedy about this guy who was but instead of playing like Mickey Rooney or Gene Kelly he was playing down a dingy lane on an acoustic oh that's cool Mm -hmm. that's really interesting so I can do the same structure of all the musicals that I love but I'm not going to tell anybody I'm doing it Mm. and that was my one instinct and my one hunch and uh, and I remember coming up with the story and running down to my now wife and saying, I've got it. And I literally, and it's not, that is not an embellishment or like a, a, a memory, a, a false memory. I literally came down with the treatment and said, I have got it. I know, even if it doesn't succeed, this is pure and it's. It's what I want. It's, it's what I want. And then, yeah. And, and then uh, I think the timing was, I think people were at a point where. You know, if you think of the amount of movies that have been made since that time, mm-hmm. um, none of them had been made. So people were ready to see, you know, the internet hadn't, it's not where it was. There was no Facebook. There was no Twitter. I yeah. think, you know, people weren't sharing other worlds and other ideas as much. Yeah. We weren't so, as cynical, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And there was a refreshing idea in once, which is like, hang on a second. Are these real people? Is this reality? What is this? Yeah. Yeah, we didn't know. We, were we didn't like, know. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I mean, it's funny you mentioned Bono there the other day. I was in a cafe the other day, and they were playing. They were playing Sunday Bloody Sunday. Yeah. And there's a line in that, and that's what 19 is it 79 or oh uh, yeah, I mean, early Real, 80s, late 70s. Yeah, yeah. But there's a line in it about you know when when fiction is reality, uh, you know, and you're or, or, or no when what, what what's the line? Um, when fact is fiction, yeah, and TV is reality, yeah. I think is the line. But it's like, that was pretty prophetic. Like, that was kind of early to say something like that. Um, I'm sure Marshall McLuhan, I'm sure a lot of other people were saying similar things, but it was like the timing of that sentiment was 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 right. And I think 
when when my movie came out, reality TV hadn't quite happened to the degree that it happened now. Now we know, and an, an amazing thing has happened to truth now, which is that we we know this is a lie, but we're okay with it, which yeah. is wasn't the case then. Yeah, and people really wanted to know, like, are they are they? Did you film this movie? Yeah, is it a documentary? Is it what's they wanted? To know who the, are they to want to know? Yeah, yeah. They're actors. Yeah. Are they acting? What's the real life behind their acting? But it that was, was all planned, and that was all. Yeah, that the whole the the, the it, it became very apparent to me that I should not put a clapperboard at the beginning of these takes because it made the actors nervous. I would radio mic them and not boom them, so I could put the cameras really far away, so they didn't know where the cameras were. So we had three cameras, but the actors didn't know where the cameras were, so they weren't. Look, they weren't vain. They weren't worried about the camera and my makeup. Yeah. And they wore their own clothes. I went into their work, picked all their clothes. Mm-hmm. And uh, that it, with the timing of it was perfect. I think a year later, yeah, it wouldn't have worked. Actually, the film wouldn't have been blessed in mm-hmm. the way that it was. I think the timing was immaculate. And as I think is a lot to do with filmmaking is look and timing. I wanted to talk about the uh, maybe the good way to close things off. And we just we just talked about once for a while, and and, and we were talking mm-hmm. about the new film. Throughout the whole thing, all of these films, music as a great connector mm-hmm. comes up over and over again. People falling in love to music, people mm-hmm. breaking up to music, people finding themselves with music, people understanding one another through music. Why is that something you're interested in? I think it's probably a mix of things. I, 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 the, the big moments of my, you know, teenage and adolescent life were all scored by music. There was just music on, it seems to me, when, when, and I'm not sure whether I had the big idea because the music was on or the other way around, yeah. you know, that, that it was inspiring, that the music was playing and it was inspiring my, 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 you know, deciding to leave school or deciding to ask a certain girl on a date because the lyric of a song told you to, you know, I'm not sure which way it was, but I was, I can definitely remember four or five moments of my life where, frankly, I kind of felt I was flying. And music was playing, a Stevie Wonder song was on, I was home from school, and Superstition was on the turntable. And I was looking out at the world, listening to those lyrics, and I was like, I'm, I'm kind of high. Like, I might as well be having dopamine drips coming, you know, into my, in, 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 intravenously. And they're all, they're all related to music. And I guess I'm trying to reenact that. Like every, you know, like, like a lot of filmmakers, like, what was that feeling? And, and you're, I'm trying to reenact it, I guess, I, I, you know, in various different ways and in de- different sort of characters. But it is, I agree with you, it's the same shtick. And I may get caught out for it soon. <laughs> I'm getting away with it. I think I'm getting away with it now. There may be a time when people go, okay, enough with the song and the... You know. Oh, I think, it, I think it's like, it's a, it's a thesis more than it is <laughs> a shtick. It's a yeah. thesis through all your work. It, it, it is. A th- it's definitely. A, and actually, now that I think of it, you know, obviously great painters uh, go do the same painting a million times and yeah. often can go through a decade of experimenting with, with get, trying to get something off or done. And I, I feel it's a little bit like that. It's like I'm not quite done yet uh, trying to capture that moment where music connects or connected me 
and connects my characters in a way that nothing else on earth can do. Thanks for coming in. Thank, thanks for having me. My conversation with the writer and director John Carney. His new film, Flora and Son, is available now on Apple TV+. Plus. All right, that is it for the show today. Tomorrow on the show, take a listen to this. I mean, speaking of breakout songs from movies, that's Jai Ho from the movie Slumdog Millionaire. Tomorrow on the show, one of the biggest movie stars in Bollywood history, Anil Kapoor, who was one of the stars of Slumdog Millionaire, will be here to talk about his new movie, which is seen as a game changer for Indian cinema. It's about a young woman and her quest to have her first orgasm. Anil will be here to tell you why he wanted to be involved and to reflect a little bit on his incredible career. We'll see you tomorrow later on. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.